Good morning. Merry Christmas. All right, I need you. Um, I need you with me here for a second. Uh, my my wife and daughter are not here. They're down in the Bay Area with our family, and she claims that she's going to be watching. So uh, we need a little code word just to make sure when I see her tonight that she was. So um, our code words: reindeer, Megan. Um, this is a test. We we don't put the podcast on till uh, tomorrow. So when I see her, she. She's going to know. So love you. Uh, love you, Aunt Janet, Uncle David, and uh, family. So welcome. Welcome to church. It's good to be here, huh? It is. It's good to be here. Um, if you're new, welcome to Northwest Hills. Uh, we want you to be part of the family here, I think. So uh, welcome. It's a good, it's a good place. Uh, if you if you got a Bible, we're, we're not going to be in Luke. All right, we're going to be in probably a place that you did not expect. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, one of the more chipper Christmas messages. So uh, let's just take it in. It's, it's going to be good. It was fun first service. Um, if, if two weeks ago was meat and potatoes, uh, I, I like to see this as kind of hors d'oeuvres. Um, it's a party in your mouth. It's, it's fun. It is, it is a taste of something greater. Um, we get a, a smattering of a lot of really good things. Uh, I, I also have a bit of a challenge today because what I'm preaching through um, really is more of an idea. Uh, it's more of a concept. We're, we're kind of trying to thread together themes here as we've been uh, looking at the Christmas story. And so uh, if, if you know me and you know my style, I would rather kind of just pick a book of the Bible and walk through it. But when we get to these seasons, like I get excited and kind of want to do everything at once. So I'm going to try my best to kind of to pick a target and to go for it. But if I get off track a little, um, just, just help me today, all right? Are we, are we good? Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. Um, this is good. Feel free. I think first service, there was times when people wanted to give some encouragement, like some, some amens here and there, but they just didn't feel the freedom to do that. If, if you feel like you need to do that, we're free here today. All right? You, you have that freedom. You can, you can express through um, your words of encouragement your love and affection for Jesus. So uh, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. This is good. Awesome. Right on. Um, let's pray and just get after it today. It's a good word. Now, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the gathering of your people. I, I, I love this church. Lord, you love this church. There's a lot of uh, great people here, a lot of people who, who know you, who love you, people right now who are just asking questions. What is, what is this place? What is church as a whole? What, is it, what does it mean that there is a God who exists, who loves and created me and wants to know me? God, I pray today that as we look at our culture at large, as we look at kind of the message that our um, American culture says about Christmas, that we would really begin to answer some of the questions that are being asked in a way that um, goes far beyond the way that the world's answering them. And God, I pray that we would um, have realistic expectations about what to expect during the season and that we would um, respond appropriately. And God, I, I pray that your name is glorified well today. We love you in your name. Amen. All right, so I want to start out by um, some observation. Like I said, we'll be in Ecclesiastes. It's going to take a minute to get there. Like, we'll be probably halfway through before you actually open up the text, but that's okay. we got a lot of things to kind of pull in together as we're looking at an idea. So, so we're going to be starting out with some observation. I think observation's good. I, think Je- I know Jesus did it often. Look around. See the world around you. You know, Sundays are a good time to kind of take that time out and say, hold up. Let me, let me look at my life. 
Let, let me look at some of the things that I believe. Let me look at culture at large. What is, what is the context in which I'm living? What are the messages that are being sent? What am I picking up on? What am I letting go of? And, and what am I letting kind of filtrate through my system? And how do I live out of that? So, so we're going to observe a few things, uh, namely about kind of this, this strange time period uh, in American culture. And by time period, I mean time of the year. So, so something happens in our culture probably around the Tuesday after Labor Day where there's just a massive shift in, in culture at large. Right? I don't know when you picked up on it for the first time this year, but for me, um, like I said, I think it was sometime in September. Um, I walk into Costco and it's just, you, you're kidding me, right? It's September. Come on. Like, Really? Like, if I wanted 7,000 lights, I would do that in December, not September, right? So by the time September's over, you, you know you've smelled peppermint somewhere, right? And then October's coming, and there's kind of just this crescendo to this monumental day where it's just treats, it's candy, and then it's kind of open season from there on out. It's just forever. We're just watching that scale kind of go clockwise, and it's, it's this season where, okay, you know, November 1 happens, and then it's, it's all over. It's full-on assault. We have the, the inauguration of the, um, what I would call, Red Cup. And I'm not talking the solo kind. I'm talking the Starbucks kind. Um, there is, that, that's the day that you know. We got four of them right there. Like, I don't, that's not my prerogative. I've got enough of this going on, so I don't go there. So I had to do some research, but apparently there literally is a website. This is a year-long countdown, countdown to redcups.com, when the red cups are coming out, right? And there's four different kinds. You can vote on which one's your favorite, and some regions get some different ones. But, but we know at that point, when you start seeing the red cups, like, it's on, right? And then, and then it's Thanksgiving, which, which these days is almost, dare I say this, almost like, let's get ready for the next thing. And then after Thanksgiving, forget it, right? I mean, it's all out, full-blown assault. I mean, it's seven-foot blow-up. Santa's, it's, I mean, we're cutting down live trees. We're putting them in our homes. We are, we, we have the audacity to water them, to prolong their death, simply so that simply so that we can get that nostalgic memory of, oh, when I was seven, Christmas was awesome. Take it in. Noble. Nobles. Right? I mean, we, we, we bring things into our house that at any other time have no place in a grown man's house. Right? You got snow globes. You got snowmen. You got reindeer like Josh Groban, Mariah Carey. I mean, these people are becoming regular parts of your family. I mean, it's a strange season. It's taken over everything. Love Actually is being played for the 17th time this week. I mean, tell me that's not true. Everything has changed. It's hijacked your radio stations. It's hijacked your stores. And Lord knows it's hijacked our families. It's vacation. It's time off. It's giving. It's getting. It's American Christmas. Right? And, and just, just so I can be as clear as possible and your mind does not go where it does not need to go I love Christmas. I love the season. Like, I don't just love the day. I love, yes, God came as a man to save my life. Yes and amen. That is my priority. But I also love the season. Right? I, I love my house with the fake snow and the tree. And 
oh, it's just, it's so right. And if I drank coffee, I'd love those red cups. Like, I'm in. So don't go down that road. Don't be saying that I'm knocking Christmas because I'm not knocking Christmas. All right, are we clear on that? All right, love me some Christmas. But I think something happens during this season that taps into a deeper reality. I think it taps into a felt reality for all of us, but I think it's deeper than simply just the season. And I think it's hard to put words into what this reality is. And today, I want to put words to what this season is saying. I want to put words to what our culture is saying. In order to do that, we got to dig a little bit deeper. I think through this season, somewhere starting in September, really heightening up in November and December, there is a message that's being blasted from every single commercial, on every single movie, on every sports game, on every, you know, Carrie Underwood music special of the week that says one thing. You ready for it? Your life's broken and you are miserable. But, but wait for it. There is an answer. There is a solution to your brokenness. Enter new product. Enter that new Silverado you've always wanted. Oh, that would fix my problems. Enter someone going to Jared's. Right? Someone's got to go to Jared's. We know that every kiss begins with K, so if you go there, K, or Jared's, Le'Veon Collection, whatever it is, someone's going somewhere. Right? And, and maybe for you, it's, it's this year, it's, the, uh, it's the, the tablet with the keyboard, because you have a tablet and you have a laptop, But Lord knows you don't want to carry those at the same time. So you put the two of them together. They have a child and now that is going to bring you satisfaction. Right? If you're my daughter, maybe it's a puppy. Charlotte, one day we will get one. Probably not today. Right? So so here's here's kind of the the even weirder part to this desire that we're being sold. that, That when we get these things, I think it's weirder that they actually do bring some sort of satisfaction. Like the, the fact that you can get a new phone and that phone invokes a response in you that says like, I feel better about myself as an individual because I have a new phone. I think that's weird. But beyond just that, we, we get this thing for a moment and for a moment we feel good. We feel like, okay, I was broken, but now I'm fixed. I was miserable, but now I'm happy. Thank you, Jared's. But how long does that last? Like, if you are lucky, I mean, you're talking couple years, maybe. But the reality is most of the time, it's a couple of weeks. For a lot of us, it's a couple of hours. Because all it takes is a phone call to your buddy who got something better than you. What's up, man? What'd you iPhone 6? I didn't even know they came out with that yet. Are you kidding me? I still have this stupid Motorola Razor from 2004 that was supposed to bring me happiness forever. That didn't last long. So we've got our culture telling us that, hey, you're miserable, your life's broken, but wait, just wait. If you get this, everything's going to be better. I'm going to let you in on a little secret right now. Dissatisfaction and letdown always occurs when reality collides with expectation. When what you're expecting to happen doesn't happen the way that you wanted it to happen, there will be letdown. So I want to gently just give you a fair expectation of what's about to happen in the next couple of days. All right, so this is what Christmas is going to look like for you on Wednesday. For you cheaters who go Tuesday night, shame on you. I'm joking. There's freedom. All right, there's freedom in here. We, we know, 
I hope you know this. Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th, so you can celebrate that anytime you want, but we've said, hey, we're going to do it here, so don't do it on the 24th. Um, but this is what's going to happen on that day. right? You're going to get that thing. Oh, man, it feels so good. Feels good for a second. And then everything that you get will be forgotten about in your pursuit for the next thing. What you got now will not sustain you. It will not satisfy you. You have an insatiable desire for more, which cannot be quenched by objects. But I, I got to go deeper here, though, because I, like, I, I know that there are a lot of us in here who are like, yeah, whatever, I don't need an object. Right? And, and for the first time in my life, I might be there this year. Like, I, I feel like there's not that one thing that, like, oh, if I just had that, then my life would be complete. Like, I, I kind of feel like for the first time, you know, there's, there's always benchmarks. You always want certain things. Like, you know, okay, I got a wife. Sweet. I got a kid. Sweet. I got another kid on the way. Cool. I got a house for the first time this year. That's exciting. So there's not a lot, like, in my life right now that I'm like, oh, if I just had that. I don't think I've lived long enough to, like, oh, I really want retirement. So, so I'm kind of in this happy middle place. Um, and, and I know there are people in here like, yeah, I don't need anything. So what are you getting at? Well, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not done yet. Some of us, we don't, we don't want an object. Some of us want an experience, right? So this Christmas season, uh, we, we are longing for, we are desiring an experience. And more often than not, this is what the experience looks like. It looks like the whole family together. Oh, it's just going to be awesome. But not only, it's like, it's Christmas morning, it's, maybe you got that Christmas breakfast, maybe it's the brunch, special day, maybe it's lunch, maybe it's dinner, but everyone's here. You got all the kids, we're from out of town, we're all here together, and for the first time, let's be honest, we can pretend that everything's okay when it's not okay. Right? We get the whole family together, and it's like, oh, forget the fact that dad's a moron. Forget the fact that Johnny's behind Circle K smoking up who knows what. Forget the fact that our family's in shambles. For three hours, we can pretend that, oh, our family's good. I mean, isn't that every single Christmas special, whether it's ABC Family, whatever it is, you get some messed up family, and then for a second, you have an experience. And this experience is, oh, but it's Christmas. And we all love one another, and we can forget about the fact that our lives really are in shambles. We want that experience. Maybe beyond that, maybe you're like, you know what? Forget it. I've given up on the experience. I know my life's in shambles. I, I'm, not, I'm not aiming for that. Maybe for some of us, this season is an escape. It's, it's a time when, when finally I, I can take a break from the monotony of my pretty boring life, right? Because most of us, if we were to really take a, a great snapshot of our life, like most moments aren't Facebook wall worthy. Most moments are like, I'm at a desk. I'm looking at my computer. This is not that fun. This is not glamorous. I would not make the front of any magazine. But there is a hope that for a week, at least for a day if you're working retail, that you can have that small slice that says, my life doesn't have to be defined by whatever else defines me. That, that there, there can be something different. That the things that I value, that maybe I can actually have control of here for a second. And it's escape from reality. It's an escape from what your life actually is. And our culture has sold us a bill of goods that says, Christmas, this time, this season... 
is for broken, hurting people. And for broken, hurting people, look, we have your fix. Enter product, enter family gathering, enter escape. It's going to make you happy, isn't it? We get that each year. But each year, how long does that last? Not very long. There's always a feeling of letdown. There's always a feeling of, eh, was it really that good? And if you don't have that feeling, it's simply because you have enough money to get on the next day, the next object, the next experience, or the next escape. But to actually take the time out and to think like, wow, did that really solve what I'm feeling? That's what we got to do today. we really got to ask these questions. Why is it true? Why is it true that we can be on this pursuit, that we can get what we've always wanted, and once we get it, it's still not that great? Why is it true that, that in America, that there is a man worth over $100 million labeled as one of the top 50 most handsome men in the world? I'll verify it's true. Um, who is married to a supermodel who, after winning his third Super Bowl in an interview with Stephen Croft on 60 Minutes, said, eh, is this all there is? Go watch that interview with Tom Brady. Right? You want to talk about the height of what we think will bring us satisfaction? If I looked like him, if Giselle was my wife, if I was making 100 mil, if I won three Super Bowls, he says, is this all there is? Why is that? Why do we have this inquenchable desire for more, for something greater. I think the Bible has a lot to say about that. We're going we're gonna to look at um, a, a very clear text in terms of uh, this problem. Let's go Ecclesiastes 2. We're going to be 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes 2. Um, these, these are the words of Solomon. If you remember Solomon, he was the second son of, of David, King David and Bathsheba. First one killed. Um, the second one being, I think, a gift from God saying, okay, let's, let's do this. And, and really we have the passing down of a kingdom from David to Solomon. So Solomon inherits this kingdom from his dad. He inherits um, really one of the most peaceful times in the whole uh, history of Israel. It's a prosperous time. There's no enemies knocking at the door. He's got all the supplies for the temple for him. His dad's been building up everything in preparation for his son to build it. He's a young guy, and he's sitting here, and he's asking, well, how, do I, how do I lead my people now? How, how do I take them um, to a place where we are building this temple, where we are experiencing true worship? How can I do this? And the Lord comes to him and he says, Solomon, how can I help you? What do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon says, I need understanding, Lord. And God says, good answer. Because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't ask for um, the hand of your enemies, because you didn't ask for these things, I'm going to give you everything you could ever imagine. I'm going to give you money beyond money. I'm going to give you safety. I'm going to give you all that you can dream of. And so we have the Chronicles uh, this story, this book of Ecclesiastes, which are the words of the man who lived, who had more than you and I will ever dream of. In chapter 2, he says this. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. 
my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had come before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. I, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Verse 11, then... I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. From Tom Brady to you and I to Solomon, the human condition has not changed. There is a desire to have what we do not have, thinking that it will bring us joy. And Solomon says, I had everything. There is no pleasure that I wanted that I kept myself from. If I wanted it, I had it. Now, now we can't play that game. We, we can kind of play the, the imagine if. Right? Like, oh, imagine if I won the lottery. And imagine if I could get bigger. And imagine if I could trade in this person in my life. Or imagine if blah, 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 blah. To Solomon, there's, there's no imagine if. To Solomon, it's if I imagine then. Right? So it's houses, it's lake houses, it's lakes, it's forests. Like we spend some time like working on our nice little gardens. He full on brings a forest to the desert, brings in ponds, aqueducts, creating water to fuel these forests, has everything that he wants. Every woman he wants, he has. Everything that he can desire, he has. And what was his gain? Now, now, there is gain. Don't, don't hear me wrong. He, he's not saying it's all for nothing. There is gain in there. He says, at some point, he says um, in verse 10, he says, My heart found pleasure, so here's the pleasure, in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. So as he's progressing, as he's gaining, as he's getting the things and the experiences and the escapes that he's want, he's saying that I have found a little bit of satisfaction in this toil, so the progress, that progress, the work of getting where he wants to go, he's found toil in it. But unfortunately, he, he has the joy of, of something that you and I will probably never have but should learn from his experience. He gets to the end where he's like, I can't progress anymore. I have everything I've ever wanted, which, ver- which pushes him to verse 11. Verse 11, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had experienced in doing it. And behold... It was all vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So yeah, there there is a level of satisfaction that we get in the pursuit. In the pursuit, in the conquering, there is a level of satisfaction that we gain, but then there becomes a point when when you have it all. I I think of a silly example where um, you, you think of someone training to become an athlete. 
right? And, and there's, there's a level at which you want to be a competitor. You've got to be good enough. But what happens if you, if you get beyond that point where you're good enough and you're too good? Right, so imagine you got a guy, you know, 6'4", 225, but he's bench pressing like 7,000 pounds, right? And his quarter mile time's 10 seconds. Like, I'm not talking like a 4340 or a 9'8", 100. I'm talking a 10-second quarter mile. That puts Seabiscuit to shame. I mean, he's, like, so, so what's happening in the game here? What's happening is he's the guy, he's the quarterback, he's throwing it 80 yards, and he's the one catching it, and the score's 300 to nothing every single time. Now, is there a lot of fun in that game? No, there's not. Like, like you can do your best to, to try to, to gain all you want, but at some point, like, if you're just that much better, you start going, what's the point? Solomon starts saying, what's the point? What's next? An insatiable desire for purpose, an insatiable desire for meaning, goes beyond objects, it goes beyond experiences, And it goes beyond our escapes, and it haunted Solomon to the point where he says, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. It's an interesting word, that word vanity there. We've got to get after that word. That that word, the best description I can use is broken. It's it's not the way that it's supposed to be, which which goes so in line with American Christmas. You're broken. You're miserable. You need something. It's not the way it's supposed to be. You're broken. I mean, I mean, how backwards would it be for marketers to say, um, you know what? You have everything you need. You're not broken at all. You don't need anything. That's not the message we get. The message we get is your life's not the way it's supposed to be because you're missing this. Right? And, and, and it's so brilliant. It's so genius because it tugs on a reality that is true about us. We are broken. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. But I'll contend that your brokenness is deeper than the world wants us to believe. Because the world says, we're broken because we do bad things. Right? You look around and you're like, obviously there's a lot of broken people. There's a lot of hurting people. Like it's, it's not a hard sell to say that our world isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like You look around and you start saying, what in the world happened here? And usually the response is, the world's broken because we've done bad things. Well, well the gospel collides with that. And, and while it recognizes that bad things happen, it doesn't say that, well, you lie and therefore you are a liar. You steal and therefore you are a thief. The gospel flips that around and says, no, you're a liar. And that's why you lie. The gospel says, you're a thief. And that is why you steal. So it gets at the heart of our identity, who we are. You're broken, absolutely. But you're broken by your nature. And we run into a bigger problem when we come to a remedy. Because what does culture say? What does Christmas say? You're broken, but thank you, John Lennon, we can work it out, right? Really? Can we really work it out? I mean, it's almost a laughable joke. Like looking around and you're saying, really? I mean, how long has society been saying, we can work it out? And how long has that not been working out? I mean, you you look at like the promise of modern technology, right? Like we're just going to work it out faster and more efficiently. 
Like, really? You show me in modern technology any sort of progress, and I will show you where simultaneously the same progress that's supposed to work it all out is used for selfish gain and deceitful desires. Something as simple as modern medicine. You get a pill here that can cure malaria, right? That pill will cost you 20 cents maybe. Fantastic uh, in terms of our progress. Now, now, now answer me this. Why doesn't every single person in the world who need that have access to it? We're liars. That's why we lie. We're broken. We cannot fix ourselves. It is a problem far beyond a simple remedy of an object or an experience or an escape. Culture's right. We need to work it out. But we can't do it. The Bible does offer us some words here. I don't want to leave you completely hopeless. (laughs) Merry Christmas. That's it. (laughs) Go home and... Anyways... Let's, let's flip over New Testament. Paul, Paul uh, writes a reality. He, he kind of gives the remedy here in Romans 8. So if you've got a Bible, let's go Romans 8. We're going to look at um, how Paul says, yeah, this is broken. And he kind of gives the reason why. And he gives how the fix is going to be made. This is Romans 8, verse 20. In Romans 8.20, we read, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That word futility there, that's the same word that was translated from Greek in the um, Septuagint, from the Hebrew. It's the same word, vanity. So Paul says, For creation was subjected to vanity. Creation, it was broken, it was fractured, it was subjected to that. I don't have time to get into this right now, but there was a time when all things were right, and we fractured that, we, we uh, sinned against God, we rebelled against Him, sin entered the world, Genesis 3 happens, fracture happens, and from that moment forth, God subjected the world to brokenness, to the way it's not supposed to be. Why would He do that? Verse 21, in hope. That's a good phrase, in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the reason that the world was subjected to this brokenness, the reason that the world is not the way it ought to be, is so that we would ask ourselves the question, what's wrong? And we all feel that. Everyone feels that. Even the most hardened of atheists, like I said, says something's wrong. Paul's just saying God subjected us to that so that we would ask what's wrong. Pointing us to the remedy that he says in verse 23. That we ourselves eagerly await adoption. We eagerly await redemption. See, see, there was something that was right that was broken. 
That is our relationship with God. It has been fractured. You and I now live not in perfect relationship. We live apart from God. And we feel it. We can feel something's not right. We need it to be fixed. We need a restoration. We need a redemption. We need a healing. We need an adoption. And Paul says that will only happen when we restore what has gone wrong, and that is our relationship with Christ. Then, then and only then, we will look forward to a life without sin and a life with God. And then and only then, we can look around and say, all is well. Right? And, and that's not a hard sell. It, it's not a hard proposition to say, man, wouldn't this world be awesome if? Wouldn't this world be awesome if there wasn't any sin? Like, like out, I, I know this will never happen um, until Christ returns, but, but can't we just ask the question, what if we all just got along here? I mean, it's, it's war after war after war. And you've got to imagine on both sides, people are saying, golly, I just want to live my life. I don't want to be a part of this. But why does it keep happening if that's true? I mean, you have to imagine everyone's asking that. No one wakes, no one wakes up uh, after birthing a child and says, I hope my child's a soldier someday. I hope they go to war. No one says that. But the reality is, We live in a broken world because we are broken people. And that will always be the reality because we are broken. Until we can get to the remedy, until we can get to the fix, which brings us full scale back to Christmas. Christmas is Christ saying, you don't need an object. You don't need an experience. You don't need an escape. You need a restoration. And that happens individually with us and God. I think it also gets to the heart of everything we long for for Christmas. Right? What, what, why do we want diamonds? We want diamonds because they're a symbol. Diamonds are a symbol that say, I am valued. Diamonds are a symbol that say, I am loved. I am in relationship. That I have worth. That someone has noticed me. Right, diamonds in and of themselves, for, for all given purposes, are worthless. Right? And, and follow me here. You, you take a guy who's simultaneously wooing five women, buys them all the same diamond ring, gives it to him and says, hey, look what I got you and my other four girlfriends. Like, you don't want that diamond ring. If you do, that's a separate issue we can deal with that later. <laughs> diamonds show we have a desire for relationship. Relationship that has been fractured with us and God. Why do we want bigger, nicer, more. All of that desire is simply a desire that says, I want security. I want to be taken care of. Oftentimes it's, I want to take care of myself because I don't trust anything out there is going to take care of me. But this desire for more is simply a a desire for security. Why do we want experiences? Why do we want that family dinner where finally everyone's back together? And we can pretend that everything's okay. Why do we want that? Because we were created for that. We were created to have unbroken relationships with God and with people. Our families were not created originally to be broken the way that they are. So we want this taste of a greater reality that says, okay, things can be fixed. That meal is simply just a taste of what could happen. Right? Why do we want an escape? 
Why do we want, finally, I can get outside of the other 50 weeks of my life and I can live a little? Because we want fullness of life. We, we want the joy that comes in knowing that what I am doing is fulfilling, it's satisfying, it's, it's part of a bigger kingdom. We want that. We desire that. It's a natural desire. 2,000 years ago, Christ came on Christmas to give us our desires of fixing that broken relationship. Because Christ is better than diamonds. He says, I value you. I want you. You are always safe with me. You're always protected with me. I love you as an individual. I will always be here. I will never leave you. Christ is better than money and bigger houses and nicer cars because he is the security we long for. Even when we lose everything, we still have Christ. Christ is better than any experience because the reality comes in that now this is the way it's supposed to be. Now this relationship is restored. Now there is adoption. And Christ is better than an escape because what we are wanting to escape towards is actually restored relationship where all things are right and all things are made new. And we get that with Christ. It's brilliant. Our culture has so brilliantly twisted this where they've gotten to the heart of something's wrong. They've substituted our remedy with objects and experiences and escapes. And Christ says, you do have a problem. It's a broken relationship with me. I have come to restore that. I'm better than every longing you've ever had. I will always and forever fulfill you. And, and here's a promise. If you want to let Christ go, he'll let you. You can, you can be on this constant pursuit of what you think will make you happy, but that is a long, exhausting road. God says, go ahead. That's his passive wrath, which is terrifying. I think a far better invitation is, hey, what's wrong with you? Is we have broken relationship, and there's broken relationship with other people as well. And I can restore it all. Why don't you come to me? Find freedom. Find fullness of life in me. And that's my invitation to us this morning. It's a simple invitation. It's an invitation that says, can we recognize what the problem is? Can we recognize the solution? And that's a man, Jesus Christ. Can we recognize this? Can we celebrate Christmas together and have the holiday cheer? Because it's good. All behind it knowing And yes, there is an answer to my brokenness. Can we do that? I think we can. I think it'll be an awesome Christmas if we do. I think it'll be an awesome December 26, even better if we do, where there isn't that letdown. God is good. I'm going to close us in prayer here. We're going to go to uh, communion. During communion, it's simply a time where we're gathering, we're saying, God, you gave your life for me. That cup, that bread, it's a symbol for me to remember you're the answer to my brokenness. So we're going to have some time to do that as we worship together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the people here. God, I I love 
um, gathering as, as a church and getting into your word. I see so many faces of people who long to be known by you and to walk with you, myself included. God, I, I pray that we would find fullness of life in you, that we'd find the remedy to the problem that we all know is here. We all feel it. Culture sells it. God, but you're the real remedy. We need you. We worship you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.